me is the my favourite chapter in the book of Samuel. Um, it's about David, and we've been seeing him for the last few weeks as God's hand has been on his life. He's, he's been fleeing Saul now, probably for a number of years, and God has miraculously saved him on occasion, and sometimes David saved himself. And sometimes Saul's just a bad shot. But, today's message, I suppose, is about David needing to be saved from himself. Sometimes, when we go through life, and events come against us, people might even come against us, and we need God's help in those events. But I know, and that's probably why I smile when I read this chapter, that that actually I come by my own worst enemy. And, and I can see with some of the nods in the room that actually we strike a chord there. That we're just sometimes daft. In fact, let's take a step of faith. Sometimes I am just stupid. <laughs> I knew that would get a response. <laughs> well, I thought John might have said it. but <laughs> He bit his tongue. <laughs> Anyone else stupid sometimes? Do you ever do something in your life and you look back over your shoulder and you think, how on earth did I get myself in that mess? And, and that's as believers. You know, uh, imagine what it was like before you were a believer and some of the tangles that you got yourself into. I, I feel sorry today for David because the Holy Spirit who writes the scriptures, uh, he doesn't portray David as this goody two-shoes who never messes up. We don't want one of them, do we? I mean, we have one in Jesus, but, but when we're looking at an ordinary guy, we need to look at his life lessons and say, actually, I can identify with it. With it. I, imagine if, if your life was put through that projector and some of the darkest secrets that we actually prefer other people not to know was, were there, on, on there. That would send a shiver through you, through you, wouldn't it? Don't worry, I can't do that. But, but God does. God does it. He sees you, depths of your heart, and loves you the same. He wants us to get, you know, not to get into these tangles, but here what I'm saying, he knows that you're going to get into them. And that's, that's good news. It means that actually when I do get myself in a mess, whether it's from an external source, or just from pure within... That I've got a God, I don't surprise him, you know. There's nothing I do that surprises God. And he loves me the same. That's a great foundation to, to get up and, and, and move forward. So today, let's look at where we begin. Last week, we saw that David had uh, the supreme opportunity of getting rid of his enemy. Saul had gone into the cave... Not for a nap. We did that last week. He'd gone into the cave. David had crept up behind him, cut off part of his gown, and then was able to shout out to him and said, this is how close you came to me, and basically I could have killed you. And Saul had, had disappeared out of the frame, acknowledging that David was God's choice to be king. What a high moment in David's life. What an example to all his men hiding in the cave with him. And then this happens. Let's begin. 
1 Samuel 25. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. And then David moved down into the desert of Paran. We haven't heard from Samuel for, for quite a while now. And um, he's old, he's, he's uh, done his time, and he, he, he dies. But for David, David has lost another anchor in his life. And it's always the same when the old saints, maybe not so old sometimes, disappear out of our lives. They leave a void. They leave a void as they pass the baton on to the next generation and Kay and I often say this that we've had some real dear saints in our lives we've got a few left people respect people who walk the talk and everything but you know what as I look at the church we get less and less these these pillars of faith get less and less and it worries me it concerns me and and I want to urge us all to become the next saints You're saints already in one sense, but how about actually living up to that? How about passing on what we stand for onto the younger generation? David loses loses Samuel, his mentor, and he, he moves now. He's gone right down into the southern part of Judah. It's his own tribe, and he's probably feeling a bit a bit safer, but he's still in the wilderness. And then look at verse 2, and, and please understand what, what is happening here. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats, three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. Anyone know his name? God does. Yeah, that's a good get-out-of-class Sunday school answer from our church deacon. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> When anyone describes a person by what they own, right, what they stand for, a warning light should go on. If someone was to come into your life and describe you or me, how would they describe us? Because that is a dreadful way of introducing a certain man. We can all stand for something, But look, we're supposed to be believers, most of us in the room. Let's at least stand for God. This man is called Nabal. We'll get to him in verse 3. Nabal, who stands for all of that, he's wealthy. There's lots of Nabals out there. And I'm not against wealth. And often in those days it was seen to be a blessing from God. We find that this guy got his wealth a different way. But what about you and I? Suppose I was to, to introduce someone and say, this is, and they stand for God. They stand for the living Saviour. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but actually there. I, I remember, and I, and I shared it with, with um, Bev this week, I remember I was out walking, and God dropped a word into, in, just into me, and I woke Kay up, and I said to her, I had a strange experience with God this morning while I was out walking. And the experience was the word epitaph. And some of you will have heard me say this, that actually Vi died that day. She wasn't even ill that morning when she got up, but she died that day. And 
I knew that the word epitaph was for her. And I, and I got the privilege of speaking at her funeral. And I was able to share with the room that actually what Vi, what Vi stood for, she wasn't a preacher. She couldn't lead a Bible study. She couldn't really do a lot at the front. But epitaph, she stood for generosity. I saw life give her life away. saw Vi give her life away. Dilly, who's not here because June's poorly, is Vi's sister. It's Dilly's 75th birthday. All right, okay. What a great epitaph to share to a room of people that an old saint was just so generous. And I don't just mean monetary-wise, I mean with everything that she stood for. What a privilege. You couldn't say this about Nabel, by the way. And you can't say it about many people. Here he is. His name was Nabel and his wife's name was Abigail. Look how we, look how we describe Abigail. We've got a name to begin with. This is who she is. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman. I've got one of them. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman. But her husband... No, you haven't got one of them. (laughs) But her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite from the tribe or clan of Caleb. Look at the contrast between this intelligent, beautiful woman and this surly guy. And if you look at the original language, the word surly means he's stubborn and mean and and hard-hearted. Everything that actually is against what God stands for. And then you've got to ask yourself a question, why is she with him? What, what has this beautiful woman got to do with a guy like that? Perhaps, we're not told, but perhaps it was an arranged marriage. It's quite common in those days. And perhaps that her parents saw this guy and maybe thought the best way of us providing for a daughter and maybe our, our old age is to stick our daughter with this guy. Or maybe, maybe he set off a good guy. And then through a bit of wheeling and dealing, he gets wealth. And sometimes wealth corrupts. I, I, I can't handle money. I've, I've had that go and I don't want it anymore. If I've got a few quid in my pocket, that'll do. But no, but yeah, it... it it gives you the wrong motivation if you can't handle it. You need to be a special person to be wealthy. Don't worry, it never happened to me again, so that, that's not a problem. But you know what? I'll, I'll share look, that. Actually, I thought it was the answer to lots of my problems. Only to discover on the way, it caused more than it answered. And then to get rid of it is the best thing we've ever done. Enjoyed some holidays as well. Yeah, okay. So, verse 4. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. And so he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Let me paint the picture. What he's going to do, look, he's, he's got 600 guys living in the wilderness. You can't nip down to Asda. It's not open there. Right? So he's got to forage somehow. He's got to provide for his men. And one way of doing it would have been just to steal. He's got a, a mini army. He could have been a bandit. 
David could quite willingly have gone along and taken some of these sheep and, and everyone else's stuff and just done it. And people would have just had to accept it. That could have happened. But David chooses a better way. He's the king in waiting and he's showing his guys, you don't have to do that. God's going to provide. But we find out as the story unfolds that David's presence in that region had meant that there'd been no other bandits operating, no Philistines had been coming in and stealing the crops. So Nabal was better off because of David's presence. And all David is asking is, look, I want you to recognise that and actually reciprocate some blessing. That's where we're going with this. So let's move it on. Say to him, and I love the greeting, Vic came in this morning and said to, him, said to me, greetings and salutations. Isn't it great? If you, I do that sometimes. But isn't it great if we could see each other? Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord Jesus. So David does a bit of that. Not with Jesus, but he does this. Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Three words of peace there. I'm coming in peace. There's no fear. There's no, nothing to be afraid, afraid of. Long life to you, good health and your household, and good health to all that is yours. And this is what I've heard, Nabal. I hear that is sheep shearing time, and when your shepherds were with us, we did not ill-treat them. And the whole time they were there at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Look, there's no charge against me. We've looked after them, we've supported them. Check with them, basically, he's going to say. Ask your own servants and they will tell you therefore, sorry, ask and they will tell you, therefore, be favourable towards my men since we come at a festive time. Sheep shearing, a time of partying, a time of abundance, celebration, more wealth for Nabal. So he says, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. It is, he's the king in waiting and yet he's recognising to Nabal, look, this is who I am, just treat me how, how you see fit, how, how, how you want to, uh, to bless them. So when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message, in David's name, and then they waited. Very crafty, how we stick that in, he's waiting for a reply. What is about to happen wasn't in a fit of temper. It's considered measured response. Do you think Nabal's going to give David what he deserves? Oh, he's mean. He's mean. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is he then? Do you think, do you think Nabal knows who David is? Of course he does. Oh, absolutely. It's not possible that he doesn't know who he is. Right? Who is this son of Jesse? Well, they've just given it away because he knows David's dad. He knows the tribe and everything. So he, he knows who he is. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. He knows that David is on the run from Saul. He knows exactly who he's dealing with. I think that's wise on Nabal's behalf. Just over a few sheep. So he says to them, why should I take my bread? Notice this, it's my bread. And actually the original language reads, and my water, and my meat. I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where. 
Don't know, don't know anything about you, David. Don't even know where you live. Dismissed. David's men turned round and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. Wow. What's David going to do? Come on. Could throw Paddy. Graham says, Paddy. Could David just turn around and said, then the Lord will bless me from somewhere else. Yeah, it could do, couldn't he? Do you think he does that? No. Let's have a look what David does. <laughs> what human trait might that be, John? <laughs> but hang on, you're talking about the future king. You're talking about the guy who could have stabbed his public enemy number one in the back last week. Is he going to get angry over some farmer? He's only human. He was only human last week. Hmm. <laughs> now, perhaps that's what we all suffer from. Isn't it? The red mist descends. David said to his men, and although this translation isn't brilliant, when he, get, when he sent his men the first time, he said, and he did three greetings. Now he uses the word sword three times, but it doesn't quite come across in this modern NIV. Each of you strap on your sword. That's the first time it is. And then the original language says, so they put on the swords. And David strapped his. And it's a contrast between the actual greeting, the greeting's finished now, the swords are out, war's down. Do you think David prayed? Why? Too angry, forgot. Any of those things. Ever been in a situation where you forget? Yeah, yeah. We don't want our lives on a projector, do we? We don't want our lives in a book so people can make sermons out of them. But all of us have been there. Every one of us has been there. And, and lest I forget, the key from this whole passage is this, look. Yesterday's grace isn't enough for today. Yesterday's grace is not enough to get you through today. And that's what the problem with David. He's had some fantastic miracles. He's, he's seen God's provision and everything, but actually he's forgot them. He's not gone to God. I was with a, a dear friend on Friday and, and she came up with some really wise words and I thought it just fits the sermon so much. When problems come in her life, and they come, she commits them to God. She gives everything to God. And I thought, I wish I could remember to do that. I really wish I could remember to do that. Because problems are going to come, but how about just taking a step back? And just try and get in that practice. And it's easier when I've been in God's presence. If, if I'm in God's presence, I can remember. But when I forget, or get too busy, or whatever, and something comes, do you know what? The red mist can come down. Does that surprise you? It happened in 1973. Okay. <laughs> so they're moving on with the swords about 400 men went up with David not 10 400 now armed men and 200 stayed back with the supplies now then an unnamed hero and there are a few of these in the Bible 
One of the servants, we don't know his name, but he's a lot wiser than his boss. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yeah, he did. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. In other words, we benefited from the protection of having those people around us. David's request is perfectly reasonable in that culture, in that day. And Nabal dismissed them as nothing. Now think it over, this is a servant to Abigail, and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over, uh, uh, hanging over our master and his whole household. The servant knows what's going to happen, by the way. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. That's not a very good description for a boss, is it? He's such a wicked man, no one can talk to him. Abigail, remember, she's beautiful, intelligent, she acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread. Of course, you just have them hanging around. Two skins of wine. Five dressed sheep. Five sets of roasted grain. 100 cakes of raisins. 200 cakes of pressed figs. And loaded them on donkeys. That sounds very much like a grow meeting for those who have come. <laughs> we eat more food on a Wednesday night than anything. It's like a break-off competition going at the moment. Moving on. And she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Because she's intelligent. If she'd gone to Nabal, what would Nabal have done? Absolutely. She knows what her husband's like. Verse 20, she came riding on a donkey into a mountain ravine. Of course, just at that moment... There was David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. God's providence and timing. If you were here last week, and I want to thank you, John, for your testimony last week. I just thought it brought the whole meeting right to a close, right to the perfect timing. That actually, God could go, uh, sorry, John could go to the front and, and testify about God's providence. And it's happening all the time in our lives. God is rescuing us from difficult situations and sometimes even from ourselves. She's met David now. What's she going to do? David had just said these words. It's been useless. He's frustrated. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of, it, of his was missing, he's paid me back evil for good. Insulted him. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Just think there's a slight overreaction going on here. <laughs> Is this the David who's going to be king? Is this the David who's a man after God's own heart? is and if if I was writing the Bible I, th I might delete this bit I might just sort of portray him in a different light but he sees the depth of our heart and loves us the same 
It's going to wipe out all of them. And there's only one man that's actually been at fault, isn't it? There? There's only Nabal who's actually messed up, been rude. What about the servants? What about the children? Every male's going to die. That's why he's took 400 men with him. And you imagine what, what Abigail is seeing. We don't know whether she's actually heard what he said, which, let's be polite, was pretty stupid. Because he's asking God to deal with him if he's actually not, not done what he said he's going to do. It's a good job God doesn't answer all our prayers, isn't it? Only the ones we need answering. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. And when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Abigail should be with... Well, she's a, she's a brilliant negotiator. She's about to change David's mind. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, to my, attention, my lord, to that wicked man Nabal. Please don't describe your husband that way, That's, you know, unless he really is wicked. He's just like his name. His name means fool. I love the way that the Holy Spirit has withheld that information. I cannot imagine that mum and dad looked at their little baby and said, I know, let's call him fool. Just don't sit right, does it? And, you know, for those of you who have future babies, that's not really a great name to sort of give the child. I rather think this might have happened, look. I think as Nabal grew up, and his behaviour reflected foolish behaviour, I think other people just said to him, I think he's a Nabal. You know, in Proverbs, it, it describes what a fool is. Anyone want to have a pop at it? Yeah, Proverbs, thank you, that's very impressive. A fool in his heart has said there is no God. Proverbs 14, verse 1. The problem Nabal has, look, is this. He lives in Judah, and he knows there's a God. He actually does know there's a God. The sacrifice system would be there. Samuel's been around and, and been judged, and he knows the living God, but he's behaving as though there is no God. And that is really foolish. When our behaviour reflects the fact that we don't believe in God, even though we know he's there, no wonder you're a fool. Please don't do that. His name means fool and folly goes with him. Wherever this guy goes, he's leaving a trail of disaster behind him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. Abigail's not guilty. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I like that, she's reminding him, actually, God's alive. And as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, look what she's saying to him, look. I'm the messenger, but God has orchestrated this to stop you messing up. 
If you mess up big style, David, this will haunt you for the rest of your life. I think when I get to heaven, God's going to take me to one side and say, do you want to see this page? Look what you were doing there. Look, look I stopped you doing that. Do you remember that one? Look, I sent this person into your life, but you ignored it. And look what the consequences were. We don't see it. And sometimes we need our eyes opening. We really do. Since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you, my Lord, be like Nabal. The, the Old Testament uh, Pharisees see Abigail as a prophetess. She's forecasting what's going to happen to Nabal. There are seven women in the Old Testament who actually are uh, recognized as being prophets. All your enemies be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. All this food on the donkeys, just take it for your men. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certain, certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoings will be found in you as long as you live. <laughs> David, you're losing the plot. You're here to represent God. You're here to defend Israel. You're here to lead the nation and you're getting your knickers in a twist over a few sheep. That was the message translation of that version. Oh, she's not in the room. A lasting dynasty. Yes, David, you are. In fact, the saviour of the world is going to come from this man, through this bloodline. Let's just fight God's battles as he directs, not fight battles amongst that are not worth fighting. Even though someone is pursuing you, to take your life, the life of my Lord will, will be bound securely in the bundle of the living Lord, living by the Lord your God. Look, if we are God's children, our lives are wrapped up in his. That should bring a lot of peace to everyone in this room. Just let that sink in. That's how close God has us. Nothing's going to happen. It's not because of that you're perfect or I'm perfect. It's because he's chosen us, adopted us as his children into his family. He loves us and everything. And he's got hold of us. Smile. That, that is good news. Look, let, let that filter through the brain matter. Right? That's how close you've got. Bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies you will hail away as from the pocket of a sling. What, she's having a little dig there, I think. Do you think she should just stood up? I mean, this woman is intelligent. What's she just saying to him? Go on, Matt, you know what she's saying. Come on. Like, David, have you lost the plot? Right? Do you remember when you were a 17 or 15 or 16 year old youth you went before a giant with a slingshot and a pebble and now you're getting angry over a few sheep, David? 
But don't we do that? Don't we sometimes lose the plot on something that's not that important? Oh, it's just me, sorry. Then I apologise, it's just your pastor that actually loses the plot sometimes. I know you're telling porkies. David, remember what he did. Even if he'd slung the stone that way, it was going to go all around the world and hit him on the back of the head. He was going down. Come on, David. When the Lord has fulfilled all, my, all, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing He's promised concerning Him, and has appointed Him ruler over Israel. Of course, Nabal who knew, knew who David was. His wife knows that David's the next king. If God wants Nabal out the way, God is more than capable of removing him. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes actually we forget God can do this. And sometimes God leaves people in our lives. I've discovered this since I've been, been in Kilimarsh. Sometimes people le- God leaves people in our lives to do something in our lives. I don't want to go on, but some of you, if you've been here from the beginning, there was one guy I could quite merrily have killed. <laughs> on this occasion, it's not Kenny. But God didn't strike... You know, I prayed. Something. Never mind. It's not, not, move on, quickly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have. No, I have, John. But I've learnt the lesson. I hope I've learned the lesson because I know someone else will come in. Look, my Lord will not have on his, on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. Vengeance isn't ours, actually. It's his. Vengeance is the Lord's. And he might just love the other guy. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. Ah, she sneaked something in there. This intelligent, beautiful lady. She just foretold her husband's death. And she's saying to David, when he's out of the way, just remember me. Well, that's where it is. Verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. We get an insight into David, look. And it's a wonderful insight. David is teachable. David can accept... Do you know what? I was just about to mess up. Bad leadership is when you actually think you always get it right. But we never always get it right. There's everyone in this room needs to be teachable. When, when he has considered what this lady has said, a stranger, by the way has come into his life and reminded David of his past victories, reminded David that actually God's still in charge, not you, you're just passing through David. That actually it's God's name at stake here. When all those things have been actually worked in his head, he recognises the truth of what a woman is speaking. It's a good job women are used in the Bible, isn't it? (laughs) Isn't it? Yeah. Look, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, sent you to meet me today. Providence. At just the right moment, in front of all his men, he realises, I wonder what they think. 
Oh, I was looking forward to chopping someone's head off this morning, getting it, getting stuck in, having a rumble. Chelsea West Ham game, in you go. All of that. And it's not going to be like that. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Not avenging God. Actually, he was going to abuse his position and avenge himself. Brilliant. Turn around. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Confession. He recognises what he was going to do, what he was intent on doing. And God, at just the right moment, steps into his life, puts the brakes on. It's interesting this, look. David didn't have to yield to that. David could have said, get out of the way, woman. Right? I'm going on. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes God sends someone into our life and actually we don't recognise it or we don't receive it or whatever. But with a teachable spirit, we're on on the right way to recovery. When we know we don't always get it right, that's a good place to be for all of us. Move on. Thank you. And then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. And when Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. Another contrast. She's just left the king, actually. And Dumbo's husband is behaving like a king. She's wise enough to know that actually when... Hubby's full of wine. Best just go to bed. He was in high spirits and very drunk, so she told him nothing at all until daybreak. This would be an interesting conversation over the Weetabix. Move it on. Move on. If we can. Yep, thank you. Then in the morning over the Weetabix, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. I wonder if it was because all the sheep had gone missing or because the raisin cakes weren't there or whether it's the realisation that he came that close to death. Did he have a heart attack? Did he have a stroke? I don't know, but look at that. Ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Is that harsh on Nabal? Well, you're mean. I thought it was. Shish <laughs> kebab. Move, move on. If, if she ever comes to your house and wants a few sheep, absolutely. <laughs> Don't cross a Davison. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Look at this. Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He's kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. You reap what you sow. And Nabal has been reaping the high life and it's come to an end. And he was a fool. He lived his life as though there was no God. And then David, crafty David, sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. Michael, well that's... We, we, We'll get to Michael at the end. 
She's intelligent. She is beautiful. She's now a widow. A wealthy widow, which I suppose helps if you're in the market. Okay, just move on. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I'm your servant and I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, she went with David's messengers and became his wife. Just like that. No prolonged engagement. Just like that. I think that's what she was saying when she, when she met him in the ravine and basically said, remember, remember me when Nabal gets his comeuppance. And David did. Where's his other wives? Let's have a look. David had also married Ahinahom of, of Jezreel, and they both were both his wives. Now, we've not spoken about Saul in this passage, but God just reminds us. But Saul had given his daughter Michael, David's wife, to Palatiel, son of Laish, who was from Gallium. There's his first wife, Michael. Whom David loved, by the way. In the custom, and let's just clarify this, God is not promoting multiple wives. So just chill. Okay? Not you, not you, Neil. I wasn't looking at you. <laughs> God's not promoting it. He's re- but this, the narrator is recording what happened. This is exactly it. And probably the, the marriage to the first woman... Was, was more political than anything because he's gathering momentum now as he moves towards being king. He's getting clans around him. So let's pull it all together. What do we learn from Nabal? If Mel wants sheep, give them to Mel. <laughs> his name means fool and he behaved like his name. Absolutely true. Fool by name and fool by nature. Reap what you sow. Be teachable. Let God do it. Let go and let God, isn't it? Yeah, that's the old saying. What about God's providence? Do you see the timing where he brought Abigail to David? And stopped David. He actually, many times so far, he's rescued David from Saul. But sometimes, you know what? We need rescuing from ourselves. But we've got to be alert to it. David still had the freedom to to move Abigail aside and go ahead. Wisdom. I want to show you two little scriptures from the New Testament just to show you some more of God's providence. It's just been the theme lately. I'll give the background and then we'll, we'll close with the second one. This is a story from those of us who have read Kings. Looking at Vicky, he said. 2 Kings chapter 5. Do you remember this one? Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served as Nahum's wife. Nahum was an army officer in the Syrian army and they on a raiding party that had captured this young girl. We don't know her name. We have no record of who she is. But she just happens to go to the right house. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, 
he would cure him of his leprosy. That's quite a statement in those days. Nahum went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Just move it straight through, Grant, thank you. By all means go, the king of Aram said, replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Nahum left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I'm sending my servant Nahum to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. You don't want to get one of those letters in the post. Pressure on. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his, of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. And when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? What's the panic? Make the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. God's providence. Sorry, Graham, come out of that one. Thank you. God's providence puts an unknown servant in Nahum's house to further his kingdom. God's always doing this stuff. He's always moving people around. Always moving within even mistakes and cultures and everything because it's his kingdom. Put the one in Acts up, please. Thank you. Famous story in Acts. Next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we've taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we've killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets there. But Paul needs, sorry, God needs Paul alive. Paul's got work to do. So it's not going to happen. Because God's going to stop him. But when the son of Paul's sister, in other words, Paul's nephew, heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Just stop it there, look. Was that good fortune that he just happened to hear of it? Somebody just planning this assassination attempt on Paul, who just happens to be Paul's nephew, who just happens to be at the right place at the right time, and is able to stop the whole thing happening. God moving people around. I'll close with this, look. We're nearly through 1 Samuel. And I know it's been a long a long journey. But God is teaching us something. He's showing us what it's like, what, it, what his plans are. Let me give you an overview of what's happened so far. Do you remember Eli in the early chapters? Eli was the priest. Eli was the person who should have led the nation to God. He should have interceded for them, should have prayed for the nation. But Eli was guilty of one crime. He didn't discipline his sons. He couldn't pass on what he stood for to his own family. So Eli died. Samuel raises that child. Samuel messed up once in the book of Samuel. Do you remember the time when Samuel was sent by God to anoint one of David's family? 
And then what, what Samuel does is he looks at the oldest son, who's tall, handsome, strong, and he says, surely this is the one. Surely this is God's man. And he would have made exactly the same mistake as Saul. Saul, God's king. Israel already had a king. They wanted to be like everybody else. But Saul would not yield to the word of God. He will not bow his own life, his own rulership, his own position to God's word. So God removed him. And we entered with David. David, not perfect. Not someone who never messes up. But someone who will learn the lessons and go forward. But even he's not perfect and, and can't bring in God's kingdom. Do you ever pray that prayer? Your will be done. Your kingdom come. God has, show, has, has, has designed it. He gives us this great gift. Everyone gets this gift. The privilege of being used by him to bring his kingdom. Where we get it wrong sometimes is we bring our kingdom, don't we? And he knows that. And he still loves us. And still works it out. Still goes up. Bringing his kingdom to, to come to glory. I want to encourage us. All of us. Don't be a fool. Not, not saying you're a fool. Don't be a navel. Trust in God. Trust him. Nothing can happen without him knowing it. Our lives are that bound up. That's a great place to be. And that he loves us so much. And he sees the depth of our hearts and loves us the same. Would the next beautiful and intelligent lady... <laughs>